If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply felt discouraged or even defeated, if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then this podcast is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Elliot Barnett. Just to give you a little bit, a little information about Elliot, he is an author, a cognitive science researcher, inspirational public speaker, and technology innovator. He combines these passions to empower people to live a life of success, their optimal life. His latest book is called The Myth of Living Better and is available on Amazon. His website is mycoreinsights.com to learn more. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you so much uh, for having me. It's excited to be here. I'm thankful that we aligned ourselves to actually meet some. Yeah. Is, and where are you on the West Coast? Where do you live? I'm in Oregon, so I'm outside of Portland, Oregon. Uh, you know, this Bostonian now lives on a five-acre horse ranch, uh, which nobody would have seen that coming, but I fell in love with a, with a beautiful gal about seven years ago, and, and she loved horses, so now I love horses. And not only do I uh, live with them, I ride them, and uh, we have a little stable with, a, with, a, uh, with a, uh, an arena and, and the whole thing. So just definitely changed my lifestyle from uh, – the uh, North Shore of Boston, out, out here. I think everybody on the, on the East Coast thought I, I lost my ever-loving mind, but uh, it is something I really <laughs> love to enjoy now. So. Oh, that's amazing. I went to school in Oregon, and um, I lived in Eugene for a while, um, but I went to Southern Oregon State. But as a child, I lived in Eugene, grew up there for a little bit, for a few years. So Oregon, my, my family, I mean, the other part of my life, I grew up in Alaska, but my family always has a special place in their heart for the Oregon coast. So frequently we would do uh, vacation rentals, you know, on the coast. So sure. we love Oregon. Like, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. The coast, they call it the coast, not the beach, right? Because you got the <laughs> beach on the East Coast. It's the coast on this side. Uh, yeah. Not that you go basking in the sun and, and go swimming. Uh, you know, it, it's wetsuits yeah. and uh, mostly sweaters. <laughs> so, oh, right. And and yeah. might be quite dangerous. Do people swim in that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, the kids. Uh, you <laughs> the see kids these, these okay. kids just fearless out there, but uh, yeah, yeah, not so much. My son and I actually really enjoy going boogie boarding. Uh, we put wetsuits on and, and do that. That's, that's been sort of a tradition of ours, but, uh, Oh, that's yeah, great. It's definitely a lot different than, than the East coast beaches. So, and how did you meet your wife? So actually we, uh, so part of my background, I've done, uh, you know, a lot of corporate work and technology because I'm a technologist. I run global, uh, global engineering teams and, uh, uh, so we actually, well, we didn't work together, but she worked at the same company, and, uh, and she walked in a meeting and I said to myself, that's the woman I'm marrying. So uh, it, it wasn't <laughs> even like somebody like her. She walked in, uh, she's beautiful, just kind thought she, she just emoted this amazing energy about her. And uh, yeah, so it took me a little, little bit of time to actually convince her that she should marry me, but uh, it was, <laughs> uh, so my, you know, one of, one of the, the great assets that uh, you have to have to be successful is a little tenacity and persistence. And I had to have both. 
in order to uh, to get this amazing woman to oh that's so sweet but there's something inside of you that lit up when when you saw her that like warmed your heart and knew you had to be with her that's amazing absolutely yeah she's a she's a fantastic woman and inspiration to me uh my driving force behind me i would not have, have been able to accomplish what i've accomplished in the last seven years which really I put a lot of things that I had been working on for years before into kind of high gear over probably the last five, six years. And I attribute a lot of that to her uh, for her support and just her overall. Um, she has this amazing way of being uh, very fair, firm and friendly with her advice and direction uh, and very supportive, uh, but not somebody that's just rah-rah, you know? So I really turn to her as somebody that I can trust. When she read my book, I knew that she would t- actually tell me what she thought of it. <laughs> so things like that. If I show her the website or something I'm doing the training, I know she's going to actually be honest with me, supportive and honest. So uh, yeah, she's actually absolutely amazing. Yeah. So you just released your book, The Myth of Living Better. How did that it book did. launch go? Uh, it went well. You know, it, it's been an interesting journey because I never, I, I didn't really set out to be an author. I I don't know why I didn't set out to be an author because I've always loved writing. I've written poems since I was a kid. I just, I love uh, expressionistic writing in general. So I don't know why I never initially thought of myself as making that transition to actually be an author. This original book uh, was not supposed to be the book I wrote. The original book was going to be a book of science because of all the research that I've done uh, that's uh, accumulated into what I what refers to as a cognitive response therapy, which is the formalized therapeutic approach that I developed. Uh, so I did about 15 years of formalized cognitive science research that that created uh, three scientific theories that empowered cognitive response therapy, and that's what mental fitness training, which is the formalized training that's at my core insights, uh, that's the program. So you can kind of think of mental fitness training as the program that implements cognitive response therapy. So I initially was going to write a book that was the science, and I figured nobody's going to read it, but uh, but it would be more of getting it out there to the practitioners and and uh, you know put me out there as the expert in that area of the subconscious mind and all these. But I had a social media explosion last year on this video series I did called "Here's What They Don't Tell You," and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek little philosophical mental health tidbits uh, that I put together in 30, 40-second clips, you know. And they, it just, it got, it got a lot of followers and a lot of good responses. I was like, well, why don't I do that book first? That'll be fun. You know, I'll write just a first person uh, philosophical book. And then I thought to myself, well, how many books are those like that out there? I mean, there, there's too many <laughs> books of somebody telling you how to live your life in first person narrative, right? So, I thought, well, why don't, it, why don't I make it more of a fiction story of a journey? Because I, I refer to mental fitness training as a journey of self-discovery. So what a, I could make this more of a mental health journey uh, of a character development, but it still felt a little preachy to me. So I decided to make it more of a symbolic sort of allegory uh, book, a book full of allegory to express the ideas that I wanted to teach, but more of a very uh, sort of inspirational and, and more of an interesting, uh, interesting narrative. That was challenging, I got to tell you, because symbolically representing the subconscious mind or complex scientific processes, like what I call response cycles and all these things, uh, doing that symbolically is with creatures and sort of all these things was not an easy task. But 
The reception has been great because I think it's been much more engaging. People are excited to see what Jeremy's going to do next and, and the conversations that he's having with his guide, La Luna, uh, and as they travel along their journey. And uh, I, I infused that here's what they don't tell you in there because I, I had the whole concept of this they, you know, as if there's this group of people that know everything that if you could just talk to them, they tell you everything you need to know about living better. And of course, that's, that's not true, but that's kind of the idea of the book is he thinks there's actually a group of people that he needs to talk to, that they know everything. If he could just talk to them, he would know how to live better. But of course, that's not the point of life, right? Everybody around you can teach you something. So that's mm-hmm. kind of been the idea of the book. It's been great so far, though. So who is Jeremy in the book then? Is that uh, your subconscious? <laughs> who is Jeremy? Well, I, yeah, I think Jeremy represents sort of this uh, and, and his community in general. That I really set up his community as symbolizing, I want to say the worst of, but this, this world has its challenges right now and people are struggling. And the people in his community are one of two categories. They're either reactors, which are people that just are beholden to their emotions and have no real emotional control or regulation, or your uh, incensor, which is basically almost like you're living like a in comatose, <laughs> uh, no, no sense of reactions at all. Uh, and that's really the only two types of people in his community. And it's really, it shows the dichotomy that we see around us in our society. And Jeremy, it represents in a way that, but also hope because he feels like he wants to make some changes in his life, but he's just not sure how. You don't really like him at first uh, when, you, when you first start the book, but you realize that he's, he's the hope in our society. He's the, the dreamer. He's the one that believes that there is something more. He just needs some help and guidance, and he takes action towards that realization. And La Luna is that representation of the best of our society, the best uh, and, and the ultimate hope in our society, the ones that instill belief and, and inspire people in their lives. So there's this kind of coming together of somebody that is that has this inspired hope within them and then somebody that can pull that hope out into uh, to be actually to be realized. So that's kind of the dichotomy of the book. And, and that's what I wanted to celebrate. Mm, I see. Can we talk a little bit about that series and what it is that people don't say about living an optimal life. Yeah, of course. So uh, it's, it's really, there's a lot of different areas of it. So I talk a lot about relationships and uh, a lot of things that people don't want to necessarily highlight about themselves. Like the fact, one of one of the most popular ones was that people shame people more than they realize. Uh, so the video says, hey, you know, you shame, here's what they don't tell you. You shame people more than you realize. You know, all those little nitpicky comments that you make to people. Yes, that's shaming. You think you're teaching them a lesson? You're not. They don't, te- they don't have, to, they don't, that's not how people learn. They don't, they don't, yeah. they don't learn through shaming. So things that are a little bit forceful in a way that just proverbial backhands a little bit. Uh, I had one of the more popular ones was, was not, nobody's really paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. Here's what they don't tell you. Nobody's really paying attention to you as much as, as you think they are. Wow. It's called a spotlight effect. You know, you walk into a room, you're pretty sure everybody's looking at you and judging you. Nobody's really paying attention. They're mostly thinking about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just those realizations that I think we have to kind of come to terms yeah. with uh, and face because we, we convince ourselves of so many things in our lives that hold us back. And we 
we self-limit because we essentially have created cages for ourselves. We've almost collaborated with other people in our past, whether it's parents or siblings or friends or whatever it is, teachers, we've collaborated with them to build these cages. And then we've kind of climbed inside of them and, and fit ourselves into it. And then we sort of, we say, well, I want to become successful. I want to, you know, do more with my life. But we keep bumping up against the, the edges of the cage and everybody around us, including ourselves says, no, 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 no. You need to stay in your cage. You need to stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. So we wonder why we can't get, we can't get sort of uh, to a place in our lives that we're living really what I call your optimal life. So a lot of the whole series was just a little bit of a wake up call to like, can we just think about these things and be honest with not only with others, but with ourselves about what is holding us back in our lives, lean into those experiences and then lean through that resistance and grow through it. Uh, and that was kind of the point of the series. Oh, got it. Got it. And did you tie, try to tie some of that into your book as well? Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of it was uh, one of the first sections of the book is all about taking action. So, you know, Jeremy breaks out of his community. He's sitting there, you know, thinking, what do I do now? I, I've made this big decision, but I don't even know where I'm going. And he meets Laluna and she's challenging him. So how far do you think you'll go if you don't do anything with it, with what you're with, with, uh, with the knowledge that you have, how, how far will you travel if you stand still? Uh, so all these ideas of taking action and really, uh, you know, he's, he's beholden to the fear within himself and he gets what I refer to as being swept away by whatever your subconscious gives to you. There's a lot of symbolism of the sub that's what my area of research is a subconscious. So it's a lot of symbolism about what's within. So I refer to it as uh, what's within and the fact that we want to use the emotions and the thoughts and all these things that our subconscious gives to us as opposed to being swept away by it. So a lot of the here's what they don't tell you videos was was a wake up call to people to pay attention to what's happening within their own bodies and within their own minds and not be beholden or swept away by it, but use it as information. And that's one of the main themes of the book, because ultimately you can't live an optimal life if you are beholden to whatever your subconscious gives you. You're never going to control your subconscious. It's 90% of who you are and how you are. And that's, that's a good thing. You don't want to choose your heart to beat or your liver to function or the chemicals to be released into your body when you need adrenaline. But if you're beholden to that process, if you're just swept away by it, if you're just a formality or a consequence of those things, then how do you live intentionally? And you can't live an optimal life, live your best life if you're not living intentionally. If all you're doing is reacting to what's coming up from within whether, rather than using it to respond to your life with intention. And that's really the journey that I bring Jeremy through from that idea of just simply reacting to his life, whatever happens, versus being intentional about how he responds to his life. Mm. So let's shift to your life for a second. What is Zen success to you? That's a, a great question. I mean, so, so like I said, most of the, the uh, mental fitness training is about becoming aware of what I would call response cycles. And that's so, what you help your clients with. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, ulti- so the, the research that I did was mostly based on language. So uh, the original uh, research project I did was called language associations of cognition. So what that showed is that I could use your language to not only uh, reveal, but help you to redirect and restructure parts of who you are to be more effective. But just by looking at your 
language constructs that you use and build associations and categorize them. I can help you to overcome what we call the introspection delusion or illusion, depending on which research study you're looking at. But it basically says you don't know yourself as well as you need to or want to in order to, or you think you do in order to make the changes that you want to make. It's kind of one of the limitations of talk therapy. If, if I was to ask you, tell me a little bit about yourself, it's actually a hard question to answer. <laughs> it's very hard to solve a problem if you don't actually know yourself as well as you need to. So, uh, so to me, Zen success is all about getting that inner clarity, taking, mm. doing the inner work and doing that inner engineering work starting to understand the patterns that you're following in your life. We are habitual. We're in these habitual, uh, perpetual motion machines and following habitual cycles and habits. There's books about effective habits and creating new habits and all that. And I'm not, it's not that I'm against habits. It's just that we have to be mindful of them. Are they serving our needs and, or are we just living habitual patterns that aren't serving our greater good? So to me, Zen success is this, uh, is, is a clarity about the patterns that we're following in our lives, the uh, be, becoming aware of the thoughts and emotions that are evoked from our subconscious. We don't choose our thoughts. You could choose your thoughts. You'd have to have the thought before you had the thought. <laughs> so you don't choose them. They just show up from our subconscious. So, but they drive so much of how we react to our lives. So if you want to become successful, you want to become more aware of what your subconscious is showing up, is, is given to you. Getting a little bit of separation from what the evocation of your subconscious is to what you're actually doing with that information. Uh, I give an analogy a lot of times to in, uh, in my talks about the raging river. I ask people, I just want you to, to take a moment and imagine yourself standing in a raging river and you're fishing. So just take that in for, for a minute. So you're, you're, you're desperately trying to enjoy fishing while you're standing in a raging river. It's not going to be very much fun. You're certainly not going to be very successful fishing because mm -hmm. you're just basically just trying to stand there and not get swept away by the torrent of water. Now, imagine you are now on the side of that river, on the riverbank, and you're fishing. It's a very different experience, isn't it? You're able to watch the water go by, the good, the bad, and the different fish that you either want to catch or you want to let it pass on by. That to me is just mindfulness. It's getting out of the torrent that is our thought stream mm. and this emotional torrents that our subconscious wants us to get swept away by because the number one job of your subconscious is to protect you. What an ancient instinct this is within us. And it's yeah. great. But if we're beholden to that, then how do we become successful if we're simply being swept away by whatever shows up? from our subconscious. So we get a little bit of that separation, get to the side of the raging river that is all the, the chaos and all that inner chatter within us. Then we can start to become mindful and start to make decisions based on the information rather than just being able to react to it. You know, I love that analogy. I, I always love talking about water and oceans and rivers. And, and just, I had this visual of just this chaotic river and then being mindful, like, the bank is right there. All you have to do is take one step sure. and then you're out of the chaos. That's, that's just an amazing visual. I love that exercise. That's, that's great. Now, you. have you had your own journey to find out what success means to you or is it constantly evolving? So, absolutely. So I did. Uh, and the way that I describe it is 
the definition of an optimal life. So let's let's define that because I, I okay. use that term. I was like, well, what does that even mean? Uh, so the definition of an optimal life is a life of purposeful meaning aligned towards success milestones. A life of purposeful meaning aligned towards success milestones. So let's let's talk about that. Purposeful meaning, purpose is intent, meaning is value. So what's the intended value of your life? Towards success, aligned towards success milestones. We think of success as a destination. Like I'm going to climb the mountain of life and I'm going to mm-hmm. put my flag in the ground and say, voila. Yeah, That's right. Successful. It's like, no, we, we have many success milestones along our journey. And living an optimal life is not also not a destination. It's a process. We all know the, des- the, the ultimate destination of life, right? I mean, let's, let's enjoy the process of living our life. So purposeful meaning, intended value, I want to add value to the world. Uh, and that, what that means to each individual is, is up to that person. And that's one of the major workshops I do is to really understand and define that for people. And that's one of the first steps in mental fitness training is we have a whole chapter dedicated to understanding your personal definition of, of an optimal life. What is the intended value of your life? And what are some of the success milestones that you would achieve? We know that we are at our best when we're aspiring towards things. But so often we are running a race without knowing where the finish line is. And then we're frustrated that we're not crossing it. So it's awfully hard to achieve, say, success if you don't actually define what success is. We talk about goals. Everybody says, well, we got to write goals down. But mm-hmm. goals are milestones to nowhere if you haven't defined what success is. So right. you almost think of it like a hierarchy, right? So you define success, which is a milestones that you hit along your life that you're always aligned towards. You're celebrating previous successes and you're aligning yourself towards future successes. Goals are means towards success and actions are means towards goals. So if we think of it as that way, then we can start breaking down what's the intended value of my life? What's the ultimate sort of idea that I want to live under in my life? What do I stand for? What's my legacy I want to, uh, want to have? What do I want to be known for? This is not fame and fortune, but if you were to write your eulogy right now, what would that sound like? That type of question. Mm-hmm. So asking yourselves really amazing questions like that. You start to understand what intended value is. And then how do you align yourself on a consistent basis towards that? So I've done that for myself over the years. Of course, it's changed, but I always knew I wanted to add value. I wanted to impact people positively. I wanted to leave the world a better place than, I, than, I, than when I showed up. And I wanted to have as big of impact as I possibly could. I knew that was going to be the theme. How I did that, <laughs> that took me time because I started off in technology. I, was, I studied physics and computer science in college. That was my formal education. And I was working on graduate work in computer engineering and artificial intelligence. But cognitive science and neuroscience was always something really fascinated me. So I kind of got sick and tired of being told what to study. So I stopped my graduate work and I, I just focused on my cognitive science research studies. Uh, and that I realized that that's how I was going to actually make the impact on the world because mm. I realized a lot of the approaches out there seemed like everybody was in therapy and everybody was taking medication, but nobody seemed to be doing a lot better in their life. So I was like, does anybody yeah. notice that? Like people are still really struggling. How do I, yeah. how like do they I make keep going there? to therapy yeah. over like 20 years, 30 years, how long you been? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was kind of audacious, right? So I'm this, you know, 20, early 12, early and mid 20s. And I said to myself, I'm going to go solve the human equation. <laughs> it sounds crazy now, but like I, because I was an outsider, 
I mean, I had been studying cognitive science and neuroscience for years, but I was still an outsider to the industry. And I said, but I, I'm pretty sure I, I, I can figure this out. And that started my, my journey of, of the formal research projects I did. So I found my value by figuring out how to solve my own problems because, hey, I, w- I was struggling through my 20s as well. Mm. And I wanted to solve my own problems as well as other people's. And that's, that became what I believe is going to be my legacy as I move forward is just that impact I can have on other people. If I can, if I can bring just a, you know, one person through mental fitness training and have them genuinely feel like they've lived an optimal, optimal life or they read my book and they really, and I've gotten that feedback, which has been humbling to me that it's been changing people's lives. I love that. It's so inspirational to me that people take their time to sit down and read a book. And when they're done with it, they have dramatically seen things differently in their lives and they feel like they can actually move forward to living a life of meaning and purpose. So that, that to me is very powerful. Mm, Yeah, that's amazing. So did you ever have any mental health issues in your 20 that you use that you applied this to, to test it out, to see if it worked? Yeah. So, you know, I definitely had a lot of uh, anger issues Mm. when I was younger. I was I struggled through my teens. It's so uh, surprising because I think you really healed yourself of that. No, I did. Uh, so I had a lot of, I, I would, I would say emotional addiction uh, tendencies when I was in my teens and early twenties mm-hmm. and through my, through my twenties uh, mm-hmm. and anger issues. I was a very intense person. Uh, I was very arrogant and yeah, I, I think some of that drove mm-hmm. from that audacity. Yeah. The, uh, the whole idea that I could, you know, basically be this person that it's, you know, in retrospect, it's like I had these degrees and I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go do this instead. I'm going to create my own research projects and create my own scientific theories. It sounds, you know, but at the time it's, it's interesting how some of the negativity can fuel the positive or eventually turn on the positive. But I right. knew underneath it that this was not how I wanted to live my life. Mm. And this was a lot of that behold into what's coming from within. Anger is one of the best representations of that, right? Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't fear being angry. We fear the actions associated with anger. Exactly. The so it's okay to feel angry. Mm-hmm. It's, fine. it's okay to feel fear and jealousy and all these things that we label negative. Right. What do you do with that? Because yeah. they're just labels. Mm-hmm chemically inside the body, they're just, well, they're chemicals. Uh, So they're just chemical releases of the body, right? So we label them as negative and we label them with a word like anger, jealous, whatever it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but to, to, if you really become mindful, all it is is information from your body. Your body is giving you a signal. Remember the, the job is to protect you. The secondary job is to seek opportunity, but the first job is to protect you. Because there's no sense in seeking opportunity if you're no longer alive, right? So our ancestors had real and very immediate threats <laughs> that the subconscious mm-hmm. needed them to be aware of. We yeah. live in a very different situation than we did, you know, 100,000 years ago. So, so the point is that as I started to understand the power of the subconscious, and I was looking at modalities like CBT and uh, DBT, and they're great. And I, I'm a big fan of of those. Can you approaches. explain them? <laughs> For Sorry, audience, so, yeah, uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the that mm-hmm. came out in the '80s, and dialectic behavioral therapy, uh, which is you can almost think of it like the like sort of the, almost the implementation. It's like the exercises, you know, in a way. 
Uh, it's it DBT has been shown to to be very effective in things like uh, borderline personality disorder and those types of things. So, uh, but it's it was it was the evolution. It was sort of the the what they call coined the third wave of psychotherapies uh, out of that sort of just one-on-one therapeutic uh, talk therapy approach or the the more traditional psychotherapy approaches and it was focusing on behavioral behavioral patterns and change your behaviors and you change your life type type thing mm-hmm. but the challenge there is that if you don't understand that 90 percent, it's only 10 percent is what you're actually consciously aware of it would be like you're, you're a, the captain of a ship right and you're you're cruising along and you see the tip of an iceberg and you're like oh that's all i have to worry about just what i see well that would not be a very, very successful journey. So, um, so the 90% is under the water. So we should probably be aware of that. Uh, and, but that's how we live our life. We're only consciously aware of the 10% uh, of our human experience. And there's a r- very real consequence to that. So if you think, well, you can't choose your thoughts, but you choose your actions. That's not really true either because your subconscious is priming you precognitively. This is what I get into in the training. This is what we call response cycles. Your subconscious is priming you to respond to situations before you are aware. So mm-hmm. if you're not aware of those cycles that you're in and mindfully intervene in them, mm-hmm. instead of to train your subconscious, thank you, subconscious. I appreciate the warning and I appreciate that you're trying to help me, but this is how I actually want to live my life. Right. You have to keep at that. It's not mm-hmm. a one and done. Mental fitness oh, training yeah. is not a magic pill that you take and this this takes months of work and Mm -hmm. it just to engage in the training but also a lot of the training is on your own time like i say hey go make sure you do these things this week and then come back to the training you know uh because it's it's a it's a practice that you have to continually do to train your subconscious you've accumulated who you are over the whole tenure of your life so you're not going to magically change your psychological structure which is what drives you in your life right away. It takes a long time to Mm -hmm. really make those deep changes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like you're creating new neural pathways, Absolutely, how um, you behaved in the past. Actually, anger was one of my issues too. And, you know, I still continue to be mindful of that habit. And, uh, and I wrote a book about that as well. Um, change your energy, change your life. (laughs) But, um, I, I, so I just find it interesting because it was kind of like, I I do feel that people put, I just so resonate with what you're saying about emotions that people put these labels, like they're negative, but they're really, it just is, you know, and it's just what you're saying. Oh my gosh, you're just brilliant. I I love your philosophy and in helping people heal from that. And and you healed yourself as well. So that's amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. It means a lot coming from you and uh, it, it has been a journey and we always have to still be diligent. Right. So yeah. we have tendencies and, and we have to just be mindful. And, but that's the point is mm-hmm. uh, those habitual patterns. We just need to be mindful and aware of them. Get to that side of the raging river and be, be diligent. Just because you're on the, the side of the river does not mean you don't, you, you, you can't might not slip. slip. Thing. Yeah. So slip and go um, ahead. Oh, I love I that. I actually yeah. have, it's funny, just as a quick side note, the transition from a regular journey to allegory was that. So I knew that I wanted to have a scene in the book of a raging river because that's one of the, the signature kind of thought experiments I have people do. Uh, and I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to symbolically represent? 
So then I said, well, if I could do this, why don't I do the whole book <laughs> as these symbolic experiences? And uh, so it became a real challenge for me to do that. But that was the actual uh, inception point for the idea of having the whole book as a series of uh, allegory and symbolic experiences that, that Jeremy's witnessing along his journey. Uh, and I did mirror a lot of mental fitness training. So the book is uh, is kind of mirrors mental fitness training and the journey that somebody would take along their way. In fact, the culmination, the ending scene, uh, this was the Don't give it away. No, 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 <laughs> I won't. I won't. But, uh, but buy it, his book. Was, buy his book. <laughs> this, is, this is where I got writer's block for a week and a half. Oh, okay. Oh, I wow. got stuck. I'm like, how in the world am I going to symbolically represent response cycles, which is a very complex scientific process of the body goes mm -hmm. through. I'm like, I, I have no idea how, to, how I'm going to do this. And it took me like, I run every day, almost every day. I mean, I work out every day, but I run uh, most, most of that time. That's where I did most of my thinking. And mm -hmm. it took me a week and a half of runs to finally sort that out and actually go, I got it, you know, anyway. So that's uh, the, the chapter. If anybody appreciates it, it's called the mountain. Uh, it's one of the accommodation ah. uh, chapters that that chapter took me a, about a week and a half of writer's block to break through. So that was definitely by by far the, the most difficult and challenging chapter I wrote. So, wow. Wow. That's great. Thanks for sharing that vulnerability. So how does hope play a role in living an optimal life? Because I, th I think you talked about it before as being a theme. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So it's interesting you bring that up. One of my favorite lines in the book uh, is there's just a short exchange between Jeremy and Valuna. And she just, she says to Jeremy, it starts with a belief. And he says, what does? And she says, everything worth doing. Wow. And it's just this moment that I wanted to capture because she almost says it quietly. And it's just this, this moment of reflection that I want people to, to, to take. And uh, if, if anybody listening will, does read the book, just pause on that when you get to it, because hope is great. I, I think that, that hope uh, can inspire, but it starts with a belief. And do you believe in yourself? Do you believe in yourself enough that you can hope for more? that you can translate hope to action. See, we dream and dreams come from the hope within us. But do you translate that to an imagined reality? Your subconscious can't tell the difference between actual reality and imagined reality, it can't. So if you can translate, a dream becomes a goal when action is taken towards its realization. So if you can just translate the dream and that hope that's that's come from within you that has inspired the dream into inspired reality and then translate that into an action step and you take those small action steps towards the realization but it has to start with a belief we like i said before we limit ourselves we always have more within us than we realize every endurance athlete knows that every endurance athlete knows that the first sign that you're getting labor breathing or you feel tired, that's just your body being a predicting machine. Mm. You've, you've had the experience of, oh my God, I'm so thirsty, I'm dying of thirst. And mm -hmm. you 
grab water and you drink it and you're instantly not thirsty. Well, clearly that's not how it works. I mean, the water didn't disperse through your body (laughs) instantaneously. So what's going on there? Your mind is a predicting machine. It's it's looking ahead to warn you. Again, it's about keeping you safe. Mm. So when we want to hope and inspire towards more, our subconscious wants to keep us safe and put us back in the corner and keep us small. Does living in a corner in a cage and being really small sound like an optimal life? Of course not. No. Right. But our subconscious is trying to serve our needs, but it's the one thing that can hold us back. So hope to me needs to be translated into the inner belief, a belief that we can be more than we are now, a belief that our subconscious can be honored and respected, but we can lean into the resistance and and move past it because it's only through that resistance that we will, that we will grow. So I would focus more on the inspired hope within us that, that, that creates the dream, but having the belief that we can achieve that dream through inspired imagined realities that can inspire the actions associated with that to actually realize that. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's an inspirational talk right there. I feel like you just gave our audience an inspirational talk. (laughs) (laughs) And, and one thing you said is so powerful. It's through the resistance that we grow. Absolutely. Incredible. Could you imagine if I went to the gym uh, and I said, you know, I, I can't wait to go to the gym and feel really comfortable. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Well, I want to be really comfortable when I go to the gym. You're like, what are, what are you talking about? You can't, that's not why you go to the gym, right? We go to the gym to yeah, some people do though. <laughs> well, but you can't expect to grow, right? I wouldn't well, yeah, expect, I can't to, expect to, to get a, muscles. Of course not. Like I wouldn't, right. if, you, if you saw me at the gym, uh, you know, somebody that was fit and I pick up a, a one pound weight and I'm sitting there doing curls with it. You'd be like, what is that guy doing? So we know that pain is what we have to work through. And there's a difference between pain and injury, right? I mean, you know, I used to play football, right? And the, and the coach used to say, are you injured or are you hurt? <laughs> if you're hurt, you could go out and play. If you're injured, you have to stand sidelines. So we have to ask ourselves in our life, are we hurt or injured, right? And is the pain just something we have to work through? That's so bad. We, I'm sorry. That's the way it goes, <laughs> you know, but, okay. but. It's the point that we that we work through that resistance because we have to. It, we talk about our comfort zone, my friends. Is it really that comfortable, or is it just what what we're familiar with, our familiar zone? Mm. Our comfort zone is not our comfort zone because we're not really that comfortable in our lives most of the time. If we're not living our optimal life, living really the life that we want, we know that it causes us stress because we see success around us. We see what success can, could mean to us, mm-hmm. but because we don't have that that belief within ourselves, we won't translate that into inspired action towards its realization. So to me, you know, the whole idea of working through resistance and understanding that we need to lean into those experiences. I talk a lot about that in the training, leaning into those experiences, mindfully leaning into them. You don't just haphazardly do it. Mindfully leaning into those experiences and being willing to accept, be willing to accept what your body gives to you. Don't be swept away by it. Don't worry about it. A lot of it's just noise. A lot of it's just inner chatter. Just sit with it and be willing to accept what your subconscious is doing. Be curious about it. Ask Mm -hmm. good questions and then take action based on that. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that feels so Zen. It's like getting clear on that and and accepting what is. How do you help your clients live an optimal life? That's a great question. So the, 
the the website it's kind of interesting because i i created mental fitness training and i was doing it one-on-one in group workshops and things like that and then being my a technologist i was like hey you know i could i should build a web platform mm-hmm. and i'll geek out just one one quick second so <laughs> uh so if anybody's familiar with the technology industry software is developed with this agile mindset and this thing called scrum it's a framework it's not very complicated you might have heard mark zuckerberg from facebook facebook say fail fast right learn adapt and improve all he's saying is instead of doing big things over long periods of time do small things over short periods of time and add value to your customers that's all yeah. it is instead of doing things over long periods do small things over short periods of time and add value but always building towards a greater good mm-hmm. hmm. that sounds interesting why don't I adapt the Agile and Scrum framework technology uses to psychotherapy? Well, that's Micro Insights. So Micro Insights is a platform that delivers mental fitness training in that unique way. So the whole idea is that you can do it as a self-directed training that inspires and motivates you, that adds value over short periods of time, but you're always working towards living an optimal life. So my passion has been to make things accessible and affordable. I do think the mental health industry has made things way too complicated and way too expensive for people to get help. So uh, for me, the inspiration for Micro Insights was to provide a mechanism that I can be involved in. I do workshops mm-hmm. and I, I still do one-on-one training and, and, uh, and webinars and all that great stuff. But the training is available to anybody uh, very affordably to do it as a self-direct spot. You don't have to have anybody actually involved and you have that option because people learn differently and they want to take their journey however they want to. Uh, so that's one piece of it is the technology piece versus me being involved. The actual science behind mental fitness training is very powerful because I help you to overcome. You can think of it like define, discover, restructure, and strengthen. That's kind of your journey. Define, discover, restructure, strengthen. So define, first, you're going to take a stab at understanding who you are because you're not going to get that right. And that's okay. It's all right. You don't know yourself that well. Let's, let's take a first stab at it. So I ask you questions about what I call your mental core. Tell me a little bit about who you are at your essence, your, your beliefs, your values, what you stand for, all these great things about yourself. Also, the not so good things because we got to be aware of those two. Then I'm going to actually use the intellectuality of mental fitness training to actually discover who you are. So I'm going to reveal a lot of things about you that you didn't know. Uh, that's really kind of rounds out understanding yourself, the authentic self at a more fundamental level. Because again, you can't solve something if you haven't defined it. So then I start going through the restructuring process and that's using intellectual cycles and all of the intellectual property that helps you to, re, to repattern your subconscious and, and start serving you instead of it driving you. And then we go through a strengthening process to make sure whatever you did stays <laughs> people through. And that ultimately allows you, empowers you to live your optimal life. Mm, that's wonderful. Do you teach these principles to your kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, my kids are, uh, we have, so I have uh, four kids, two stepchildren and two, uh, my daughter my, is 19 and my son is 21 and my stepdaughter is 21 and my uh, stepson's 30. And 
they're all at different stages of their lives and they're all very different. Uh, and so I teach them and I, you know, uh, we used to have a running joke in my family about my whiteboard because I whiteboard everything. I have, I have one whiteboard that I've had for like 15 <laughs> years and I'm going to go on it at some point because that thing is, that thing is, has had software inventions on it. And you wouldn't believe the stuff that I've anyway. Uh, so, but we used to have a running joke that, you know, when I teach a lesson, I take my whiteboard out. My kids would be like, oh God, dad, you know, dad's got his whiteboard out. <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, you know, I would, you know, with kids, you can't go direct at them. So uh, depending on the kid. Uh, but like for my daughter, for example, teach directly, you just have to peripherally do it. Uh, so I'll talk about things around her uh, through my own experiences in modeling. And I know that she hears and picks it up. Uh, my son, you can be more direct with or not so much. So with my kids, I have to sort of find my way. Uh, and my other daughter, uh, Rachel, she um She's more somebody that I can sit to actually engage and listen through that. And, and uh, Justin as well, he, he, uh, who's, who's 30, you know, he's at that point now before him. So everything's much better. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's asking us questions. He comes back to us for, for guidance and support, which is, you know, different than when they're teenagers. You know, when you have kids that are all different and all different ages, it's really interesting to see how they, how they either seek help or at least will sort of, they don't act like they're listening to you but you know they're actually maybe picking some stuff up from you here and there yeah that's that's amazing i love that what a good dad you are it's been such a pleasure getting to know you Absolutely. elliot and learning about your book the myth of living better i'll put your website in the show notes and how to buy your book any last words for our audience no i appreciate that and, and yeah the myth of living better I, uh, you know, I do want this book to be the best that I believe it can be uh, to really help people. I'm looking forward to getting that into schools and colleges. And, and even uh, my cousin is a middle school teacher and he wants it for his middle school because I do think it speaks to all ages. Somebody can, everybody can get something out of it. Uh, I do do workshops. So if anybody is interested in those, you can click over to my core insights and there's a, there's a page there that you can sign up for workshops. Uh, so really excited to work with people in that one-on-group -on -group setting. They're all virtual and they're a lot of fun. They're kind of hands-on keyboard. So I do a little bit of talking and then we get hands-on keyboard and work and really discover a lot about ourselves. So what I would say is I do genuinely believe in the human potential. So my videos, I believe in you and you got this. It's like, I don't have to know you because I believe in the human, believe that everybody deserves to live an optimal life. And what that's going to mean for that individual person is going to be different. It's a matter of you, you have one shot of this life. We have one shot of this life. I motivational, legendary motivational speaker. What he says, I want to be a grave robber. I love that. I want to be a grave robber. I want to take all the value that you have in your life, everything that you can do. I want you to leave it in this life. I don't want you to take anything, die empty. But we we tiptoe through our lives and gently and quietly enter into our graves. It's like, my friends, we deserve more than that. The world deserves more from you. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. If you want to add value to the world, just show up authentically with, a, with, a, with value in mind. Think of how do you add value to the world? It doesn't have to be an overwhelming experience. 
just show up authentically for others and have the idea that you want to leave the conversation that you have with one person, leave them a little bit better than when you, than when you entered that conversation. If you start off small like that, you will create momentum in your life. We always are waiting for motivation to come knocking on the door for us to take action on our own behalf. Remember that action always takes precedence. Action breeds motivation. That's not a motivational speaker. I don't even know what that means. I can't instill motivation in you. I can inspire action, which will create motivation. So I want to, so that they will start moving towards living the life that they actually deserve, that is full of purposeful meaning and full of those success milestones that will lead them to living an optimal life. So leave everybody with, just think just for the moment, what can you do? The smallest action today, don't put it off. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. So the smallest action you can take today that will add value to yourself and to others in your life. If you do that on a consistent basis and you ask yourself that question often and you use the power within yourself to break through that cage that I talked about and break free of it, don't let anybody else tell you how to live your life because it's your life. You have to ask yourself, you live your life or somebody else's? It's your life, my friends. So it's your optimal life to live. So let's get after it. So that's what I would leave you with. Thank you so much, Elliot. So inspiring. Have a great day. Thanks so much. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. One lucky listener who submits a review will win a chance in the grand prize drawing for a priceless VIP experience and gifts with Carissa herself. Be sure to head on over to zensuccesspodcast.com and pick up a copy of Carissa's free gift to help you on your Zen success journey and join us on the next episode. Share with friends and increase your chances to win. Mm-hmm.